Uh, Thursday before our trip, we had the young adults over at our house and uh, spent some time in the Word, had some time in prayer, and I asked for prayer um, just for the trip and, and while I was going away from my family. And uh, Andrea prayed, prayed for me and the whole trip, and she just said this, as I'm praying, I just like see the hand of God, that God's hand is on this trip. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't tell her this, but I like actually felt that God was calling me to teach on his hand, which is a weird thing, teach on the hand of God. And so I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's like confirmation on where God wants me to go with one of the teachings. And so I'm going to take you to Daniel chapter 5. Let's, uh, let's check this. Let's just pray, actually, as we, as we come to God's word. Lord, we just, uh, we just thank you for uh, your word this morning. Uh, we want to hear from you, Lord. I pray that you would speak to every one of our hearts. I pray, God, that you would just uh, strengthen us, encourage us, Lord. I pray, God, you know what every person needs here. And we ask that you would just feed our spirits. Your your word is bread for the spiritual man or woman inside of us, Lord. And so, God, we pray that we would be fed this morning by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. A little background to Daniel chapter 5. Um, is this, you, you, you guys know this, uh, the Israelites were taken captive. You know, the two, nation, the two nations of uh, Israel and Judah uh, Israelites were taken captive by the Assyrians, and then a generation later, a little bit later, more than that, uh, the Babylonians came to Jerusalem. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, and it all happened in fulfillment of prophecy, the Bible prophets, as the hearts of the Israelites had turned away from God and turned to idolatry, and so they were taken into captivity for 70 years in in the land of Babylon. And the story of Daniel is this, is that in the midst of that 70 years of captivity, we know that just like God raised up Joseph in Egypt, he raised up Daniel in uh, the land of Babylon and he served God's purposes in the government of Babylon, second only to the king. Um, and so we come to Daniel uh, chapter five. Daniel's a, a servant and he's a prophet of God. He's high up in the government. And during the time that Daniel was there, the first king that conquered uh, Jerusalem was Nebuchadnezzar. And when Nebuchadnezzar passed on, his son took over power. And Daniel chapter 5 starts to tell us about that. Um, and during that time, the king did this. He, he had a great feast. He invited all the rulers and they came together and they, they drank wine and they were partying it up. And the Bible, Daniel chapter 5 tells us this, that while they were drinking... Uh, the king commanded that they bring all of the cups that had been in the house of God in Jerusalem. All the instruments there. And he said to them, they, they brought the cups of gold and, and silver that had been taken out of the temple. And they began to drink wine out of these cups, the Bible says. And they were praising their gods, their, their concubines and their wives were with them. And the Bible tells us that as they drank that wine, they praised the gods of gold the gods of silver, of bronze, of iron, and wood, and stone. And as they were doing this, the Bible tells us something amazing happened. Check out verse 5. It says, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. So you just imagine it. They're partying. They're drinking, the wine's flowing. They're, they're probably starting to wonder how much they've had to drink because in the midst of this whole thing, 
uh, just a, a hand appears and it starts to write a message on the wall. Could you imagine? I don't know. It's just crazy to even think about that. It's like, whoa, what's in this wine that we're having tonight? And verse 6 says this, when the king saw it, then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. Verse 7, the king called loudly to bring the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers. So the king, in the midst of all this, he's terrified, obviously. The knees are knocking together. I love that picture there. And he calls loudly. He's freaked out. He calls all the wise men of his country to read the words that the hand had inscribed on the wall. But Daniel 5 tells us no one could read the words. And so finally they called for Daniel because they knew that he was a man with whom God's spirit was upon him. The king's mother actually said, he helped your father during his reign. So call Daniel, God's spirit's upon him. So Daniel came into the presence of the king and he began to tell the king a story about his father. I'm going to just kind of summarize the chapter here. You can go home and check it out for yourself. But he began to tell this king about what happened to his father, Nebuchadnezzar, when his heart became full of pride. And to say that his heart became full of, full of pride means this, that he had this, this feeling or this deep sense of pleasure and satisfaction from what he believed he had achieved. And so Daniel said to the king, your, your father one day looked out over his whole kingdom, over the land of Babylon, and he thought in his heart, I have this kingdom because of what I've done. Because I'm so wonderful. And, and Daniel said, your father failed to give glory to God. And so as Daniel reminds this young king of what happened to his father, verse 20 says this. Check out verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened. So two things happened to him. He, he lifted up. His heart was lifted up. That means he's full of pride. His spirit was hard towards God. So when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he, that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken away from him. What happened? God brought Nebuchadnezzar uh, down. I think it's, I'm looking back here in my Bible. I think it's Daniel chapter, I can't remember. Daniel's not in order. Anyways, I can't think of what chapter it is. It's in there, Nebuchadnezzar. He was given the mind of an animal for seven years, the Bible tells us, until he chose to give God glory and then God brought him clarity in his mind again and he was set free. But it was because his spirit was hard and his heart was lifted up. In other words, he was full of pride. And then Daniel says, this pattern is being repeated in your life, essentially, he says. The, the, the thing that your father did is now being repeated in the life of the son. Look at verse 22. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the God of heaven. He's partying it up. He's taking the, the cups from the temple of uh, God's temple and he's drinking wine from them. And he's with his wives and his concubines and they're praising their gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood. They were lifting themselves up, Daniel says. You're lifting yourselves up against the God of heaven. Taking glory that is not yours to take. And giving, it, giving the, glory, the, the glory that should be given to God, you're taking it for yourself. And so what did God do? Verse 24, it says, Then from his presence the hand was sent. 
And, he, and the writing was inscribed on the wall. Fingers of God wrote, wrote on, the, on the wall. And so Daniel, this chapter tells us how he interpreted the writing that no one else could understand. That God, by his spirit, gave him insight and he could interpret it. And Daniel said this in verse 27. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting, he says to the king. Verse 28 says, your, your kingdom is divided and it's given to the Medes and the Persians. And in verse 30, you'll read this. It says, that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed. That very night, the, the Medo-Persian empire attacked the city of Babylon and they got in and they killed that king that night, the night that he praised his gods and Daniel rebuked him. It's an interesting picture because it's just like, with the finger, the hand that writes on the wall, just with a finger, God did this. With a flick of his finger, he disposed the greatest empire in the history of the world, the Babylonians. Did you know that? They're the greatest. And remember in Daniel's vision, well, maybe you remember this, maybe you know the story. He had the vision of the head of gold and this image that he saw, and, and he interpreted to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, you are the head of gold. The greatest empire in the history of the world but with the flick of a finger, so to speak, God disposed of it that very night. You know, think about a finger. What is the strength that I have in a finger? In a finger, I can't, I can't even lift up my Bible with one finger. You know, but the only thing you can do with your one finger is pick your nose, you know. That's about the best we could do with one single point or, you know, that's about it. Just one finger, not much, not much strength. But for God, all it takes is a finger, a strength and a finger, and he disposes of the greatest uh, empire in the history of the world. You know, think about our fingers, our hands. The strength of my fingers comes from them working in coordination, the thumb and, and all four of them working together. And, and as they work together, I have strength. I could, I could pick up a book. I can hold a hammer. You can, you can do work. You can do physical things. I, and you and I, we can't do much with one finger, but God is different. That's how powerful he is. With one finger, he wipes out the greatest empire in the history of the world. That's the power of our God. God is, very, I mean, I've just been thinking so much lately that it's like, I just box God in, I make him so little. And this, this tells us the strength, the power that he has just in his finger. And this king, he was prideful in his power, prideful in his fortress, prideful in his, his wealth. But everything he had was removed with just the slightest power of God, just like you would squash a bug with your finger. And what I would say is this, is that the pride and the power of man is nothing compared to the power of God. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 8 in your Bibles. Exodus 8. I'll give you a little bit of background as you're going there. Exodus 8 tells us about the different plagues that were coming against Egypt. Uh, God was working on Pharaoh's heart to let his people go from slavery. You know the story. Moses is sent by God with a message. Let my people go that they may worship me. And God gifted Moses so that he could perform certain miracles in front of Pharaoh. Uh, the first was this, is that he went before Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. And you remember he threw his staff down on the ground? What happened? It became a, a snake. 
So Pharaoh did this. He called his magicians and he brought them in. And the Bible says that by their secret arts, they threw their staffs down and their staffs too became snakes. Except that Moses' snake went and swallowed up all the other snakes. And then he picked up his staff and grabbed the snake by the tail and it became a staff again. And so the interesting thing though is that is this, is that Pharaoh's magicians were able to do this miraculous work. And so Pharaoh wouldn't, let the people go. Then God did this. He sent the first plague on the land of Egypt. The first plague was this, is that at Moses' word, the river Nile turned to blood. He turned the fresh water to blood. But the crazy thing is, once again, Pharaoh called his magicians. And the Bible tells us that the magicians were able to do the same thing, that they could take the fresh water that was left and they could also turn that to blood. And so they matched the miracle that Moses had done. And so Pharaoh didn't, let the people go. He refused to listen. So then God sends the second plague. The second plague was the plague of frogs. If you recall, it says that, that frogs came up onto the land and they were everywhere, even on Pharaoh's bed, in his household, in his, in his palace. But once again, the magicians are called and Pharaoh was able, the, the magicians by their secret powers are able to produce even more frogs. So then again, Pharaoh doesn't listen. And the interesting thing is this, is that Moses was performing these miracles by the power of God, but the Pharaoh's magicians were not doing these miracles by the power of God. They were using secret arts, the Bible tells us. And what was the power, I wonder, that was behind the working of the secret arts? It was demonic. It was, it was the power of devils. And it's interesting as you read the story, you know, you think about what these guys did with, with their secret arts. Did Pharaoh's magicians improve anything for the lives of their people? Did they make Moses' snake go away? No, they just matched the miracle. Did they like turn the water from blood, in, from blood to water so that people consume it? No, they couldn't. All they could do was make things worse. Did they make the frogs go away? No, they didn't make the frogs go away. They just made the, they just compounded an already existing problem. They made more frogs. And that's how Satan works, right? Satan never makes things better. He never makes it better. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, fix the problem. He just adds to the problem. He never lifts his finger to do anything except to compound people's problems. You know, I was thinking about those pastors as I was teaching this because many of them come from Hindu background, you know, and lots of Hinduism, lots of different religions. There, there are like teachers who can perform certain miracles. They can do certain miraculous things. But I asked those pastors, I said, did any of the things that you ever saw in Hinduism make life better for you? They said, never. It never made life better. It always compounded the issue. So check out what happens if you look at chapter 8, verse 16. It says this. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. This is the third plague. Verse 17, and they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and he struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Verse 18, note it. The magicians tried by their secret powers to produce the gnats, but they could not. That's the first time this happens in this whole power struggle that's going on. The first three times they've matched everything that's happened. Now they can't do it. 
It goes on. So there were gnats on man and beast. Verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. And he would not listen as the Lord had said. So this time, the, again, the magicians tried by their secret arts to match that which Moses is doing by the power of God. But they can't do it. And they say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Now remember, finger, there's not much, finger's not very strong. Not much, there's not much this finger can do on its own. And they were saying this, look at, we can't match what's happening here. And what, what is happening here is the smallest strength of Moses' God. This is just the start. This is just the start of what we're about to experience. And you think about magic arts, maybe the men that are even the most skilled in such things, they are no match for the power that is in God's finger. They can't compete with the smallest parts of God's strength. Do you know what else can't compete with the finger of God? Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Go to Luke 11. I'm just going to bounce around a bit this morning. And I'll try and wrap it up fast, okay? Because it's almost quarter to 12 already. <laughs> Yikes. Luke 11. Luke 11 tells us about Jesus casting out a demon out of someone who was mute. And when the demon had gone and the man began to speak, the people marveled and some of them said about Jesus, they said, he casts out demons by the, by the power of Beelzebul, the devil. And other people were challenging Jesus. They were asking for more power signs, a sign from heaven. But look at verse 20 of Luke chapter 11. Jesus says this. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, here's the third time we see the finger in scripture. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus says this, I cast out demons by God's smallest strength. And if I do it, then you know the kingdom of God is amongst you. And again, a finger by itself isn't very strong. But that's all it takes for God. The smallest of his strength and Jesus dries out demons to set people free. Now jump with me to the gospel of John. John chapter 10. We all good? The power that's in the finger of God. Now here's what I wonder. That's his finger. What if he was to lay his hand on something? What if, if that's the strength of God in his finger, he disposes of the Babylonian empire. He, he deals with magic arts and Pharaoh. With, with the finger of God, Jesus drives out the demonic spirits. If that's the power that's in his finger, what is the power that is in the hand of our God? And I think that there's something really awesome in this picture. As, as we just consider this, with the, with the finger of God, he drives out the pride in the kingdoms of man. With the finger of God, the magic arts are dealt with. With the finger of God, the demonics dealt with. What if he places his hand on something? We'll check out John uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 27 through 29. Jesus said this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. 
I love that. You know, in scripture, when a principle is repeated twice, Jesus said it twice, no one will snatch them out of my hand. When a, when a principle is repeated twice in the scripture with real succession, it means like this is a firm thing. It's done. You can't wrestle with it, man. It's like finished. Remember when Pharaoh had his, or yeah, Pharaoh had his dream about the famine that was coming and Joseph came and he interpreted the two dreams, the cows swallowing up the other cows, the sheaves of grain eating the other sheaves. He said, the reason why Pharaoh has had this dream and in two different form, forms is because this thing is firm and it's going to happen now. Whenever there's something repeated in scripture in close succession, it means that it's firm. You can't, you can't with, wrestle with it. This is a truth that is without doubt. It means that you can put your total confidence in this. See, with the finger of God, God deals with the pride of man, the kingdoms of this earth. With his finger, he can deal with all the magic arts of this world, whatever it might be, the demonic spirits, the this, the that. But what's the power that he lays on you and me? What's the, what, with what power does Jesus secure you and I? With the power of his hand. There's something about that hand that we know. It's a nail-pierced hand. The blood flows from that hand that secured us. And that means the, the power that holds us, I mean, just think about it. The power that holds our hand is greater than the power that was exerted when the Lord sent all the plagues upon Egypt. The power that secures you and I is greater than the power that took down the, the greatest empire in the history of the world, Babylonians. The power that secures you and I is greater than any magic art or any demonic power. And you know, in life, just in life, you know, as people that are called to serve God, what we have to know is this, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that God is greater than any obstacle that we face. He's just greater. His power is greater, greater than demonic powers, greater than nations, greater than government, greater than magic arts, greater than Hinduism, greater than, I don't know, Islam. Our God is greater, and the scripture tells us he holds us in his hand. Jesus said, no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, the calling of God that's on your life and my life, it's, it's greater than any obstacle we face because God is greater than anything else. And when we place our lives, we play, that's what we do. We place our lives into the hand of Jesus. You know what the scripture says? When God is for you, who can be against you? What can be against you? Jesus said, no one will snatch you out of my hand. But here's the thing about the hand of God. The hand of God's an open hand. God's hand is open. No one can snatch me from his hand. That means no one can steal me. But in a sense, his hand is open and I can step out of the hand. It's interesting that way, right? Where it's like God secures us and yet it's open-handed at the same time. No one can snatch me and yet I can step out of the blessing and the security of his presence. I can trade what I have in God for other things. Let me give you three quick examples from the scriptures. Three men in the New Testament that traded the hand of God upon their life for other things. The first one's Demas. There's a man mentioned in scripture three times, Demas. He's mentioned uh, with Paul. He, he was a laborer in the early church. He worked with Paul and he worked with Luke. In Paul's letter to the Colossian church and Paul's letter uh, the, called Philemon, 
Uh, Paul passed on a greeting. He says, Demas greets you. And he passed it. He said he's laboring. He actually says that about it. He's laboring with Luke and I. Demas was laboring for the kingdom of God, uh, just like Paul and just like Luke were. But by the time Paul's ministry is winding up and coming to a conclusion, and he writes his very last letter, 2 Timothy, he says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas, in love with this world, has deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. See, one of, the, one of the things that will remove us out of this hand that's open is love of this world. Demas stepped out of God's call on his life because he loved this world. And we can make a decision to love the things of God, or love the things of this world more than we love the security of God's hand, the blessing of his hand. You know what that tells me about the hand of God? The hand of God is a hand of protection. It's like a shield. So scripture says, the Lord God is a shield about you. Have you ever experienced the protection of God? Of course you have, right? I mean, so many times. I think about, uh, you know, I, I actually told the, the Indian pastors, I, I, rem- I remember a time when the leadership of this church really felt that, God, that, that there, there were wolves in our midst. That they were dressed like sheep, but they were wolves. And we dealt with it. And you know what? God protected this church. It was miraculous in the eyes of this leadership. The leadership and the men who were here. And, and God revealed their intentions and he protected the church. Because God's hand, when you're in it, is a hand of protection. No one will snatch you from my hand. You know, maybe I just asked you this morning, where do you need, the protect, where do you need protection in your life? The hand of, put yourself in the hand of God. Let me give you another example. I'll try and wrap up quick. How about Ananias and Sapphira? They're people who removed them so they stepped out of the hand of God. Remember them? Their story's told in Acts chapter 5. They sold a piece of property. They received payment for the property. And they, they went to the church. They held back some of the money and they brought some of the money to the church. And they gave this impression. We're giving all of the proceeds of the sale of our property to the church. But they were lying. They had held some back. Uh, they, they, they held it back. So what's the problem? You know what their problem actually was? It was pride. They wanted, they wanted the approval of men. You know, and pride can cause us to step out of God's hand. The issue wasn't money. It was, it was their money, right? If they wanted to keep some of the money or give all of the money or give some of the money and keep some of the money. That was not the issue. The issue was this, is that they wanted to falsely appear spiritual in front of the people of God. They wanted to look good in church. And so they lied about giving when really they were holding back. And Peter said, you haven't lied to us. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They fell down dead in the church. Now, pride is that feeling of, or a deep sense of pleasure and satisfaction that comes from saying, look what I've achieved. Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. And pride says, look at what I've done rather than look at what Jesus Christ has done for me. And God is jealous. He's jealous for his glory. Not going to share his glory. So when we in our, in our hearts begin to take credit for what God has done, you know, look out. <laughs> That's stepping out of the hand of God. 
Like I said, Ananias and Sapphira, they had the freedom to keep the money and the freedom to give it away. And you know what that tells me about the hand of God? The hand of God is a place of freedom. When you're in that hand, there's freedom there. God gives freedom to choose. I can choose his glory or in my pride, I can choose my own glory. Ananias and Sapphira made the wrong choice. Have you ever experienced the freedom of God? Of course you, of course you have. One of the areas I think about is the Indian, the Indian folks or even just for myself. You know, God is freeing us from religion, from superstition, where we rest in his grace and we rest in the work of the cross rather than trying to do things ourselves. I think about, you know, superstition is an unjustified belief in supernatural causation leading to certain consequences. It's like this. Don't stand beside the black bull. <laughs> Why not? That's superstitious. Well, a bull's kind of dangerous. But... To say the black ones are especially dangerous, that, that's superstition, right? It's like based on wrong, wrong thinking. And God, yeah, and when you're ignorant, it's just bliss, right? And, and you know, many times God places decisions in front of you and I, and it's, it's like there's a freedom to choose. It's like you can go this way or you can go that way. And what we need to do in our freedom is say, God, I, I don't know what's best. I don't know what's best. You know what's best. I put my life in your hand. I put my life in your hand. You direct my way. See, God's hand is a, God, a hand of freedom. Where do you need to experience this freedom? I'll wrap it up real quick. Last example. Judas. How about Judas? He's a man who stepped out of the hand of God. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And that's the third danger. The love of money. We know what the Bible says. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not that money's evil. We need money. But the love of money is the root of all evil. The pursuit of, of money will take you out of the hand of God. You know, in our culture, we, you know, just observing, we're a culture that has a lot of money. You know, more money is never enough, right? There's never enough money. doesn't matter how much money you have. You know, more money is never the solution. The solution in your life is always to trust Jesus. Jesus, I just submit to your hand. To trust him, to trust his word, as it says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God's rich, man. There's no lack in God. He has no need. His name is Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. He supplies for all of our needs in Christ Jesus, all of them. So that means this, the hand of God is a hand of provision. It's a hand of protection. It's a hand of freedom. It's a hand of provision. Now, I want to be in that hand, don't you? I don't want to fight against that hand. You ever experienced the provision of God in your life? It's awesome the way God sometimes comes through, right? I remember when, uh, when Lisa and I bought our first house. When we bought our first house, it was miraculous for us. We'd been in the ministry. We'd never made much money whatsoever. And we had three little kids. Isabella was, or Isabella was about to be born. And we wanted to settle in this community and we had nothing, man. We had zero. And so we were just asking the Lord and praying about it. And then my, my taxes got done and there was a mistake on my taxes. And it went back five years. The government owed us like 15,000 bucks. Like when does that happen, right? The government never owes you money like that. Usually, you know, you know how it is. It's going the other direction, not coming back to us. 
And it was a miraculous provision. It gave us a down payment for a house and we just gave the glory to God. We're so thankful for that. You know, even in our church family, sometimes amongst the leadership, we're like, oh, what are we gonna do in regards to this area? Or we've got this bill coming up. We've got this coming down. And it's like, you know, I've just learned, don't worry. The hand of God is a hand of provision. When God gives us a vision for something, it's like, okay, well, we don't have the money for that or this, that. It's like, just take it to the Lord in prayer. And every time he provides and he brings provision because his hand is a place of provision. Where do you need his provision? What did Jesus said? He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my my father's hand. The pride of man, finger of God. Magic arts, finger of God. Kingdoms of this world, finger of God. Demonic powers, finger of God. But in the hand of God, we've got a place of protection, a, a place of freedom, a place of, a place of provision. And so I just encourage you this week, you say, Lord, I'm just giving it to you. I'm just going to submit to your hand. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to meet my needs. Lord, keep me in your hand. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you just for your love. Thank you, God, that you've secured us with the cross. You shed your blood for us. You purchased us. You've redeemed us, Lord. This morning, we rest in the work of that hand that shed its blood for us. Thank you, Lord, that you're our provider. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have in you, Lord. I pray you'd just increasingly set us free, Lord. Set us us free from the lies of our culture, Lord. Set us free from the lies of religion, superstition. We thank you, Lord, that your hand is a hand of provision, that you know my needs and you know the needs of every person here. God, help us not to be afraid, but just to rest in your work for us and your provision for us. Lord, I pray for people here. Maybe they just need miraculous provision this week, Lord. Would you meet every need? I I pray, God, that we would sense the strong hand of God upon our lives, upon our families, upon our church. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.